From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. What was the most important American invention? The airplane? The telephone? Coca-Cola? Or maybe it was the limited liability company, a.k.a. the LLC. Though it seems like it's always been around, the first law codifying what an LLC was was passed in Wyoming in 1977. Since then, it's been used nearly everywhere by business owners and shareholders who want to grow their companies while also protecting their assets. But while LLCs do protect assets, they also protect privacy, some might say too much. The leak of the Pandora Papers demonstrated that many entities are stashing their assets in states like Delaware, Nevada, South Dakota, and the place where it all began, Wyoming, all of which have very lenient LLC disclosure rules. And earlier this year, the Tax Justice Network named the U.S. as first in the world for financial secrecy, ahead of notorious tax havens like the Cayman Islands and Bermuda. Lawmakers in New York State tried to do something about this earlier this year with the LLC Transparency Act, which would have required full disclosure of the beneficial owners of an LLC and the creation of a searchable database of these owners. But though it passed out of a committee in the lower chamber in Albany, this bill looks pretty dead. So today we're going to talk about corporate transparency with two people who lobbied on this bill, one for and one against, and we'll start with the pro side. Ryan Garul is the policy director at the Financial Accountability and Corporate Transparency, or FACT, coalition. He spoke with Bloomberg Tax's Michael Bologna about why he thinks legislation like the one in New York State is needed and about what financial secrecy really is. What we're really talking about is the ability to engage in financial activity in a way that allows for a complete lack of accountability. And this is really important because what we're seeing in the world is that on the one hand, democratic countries like the United States are being as vocal as ever about fighting corruption, pushing back against these sort of anti-democratic forces that are occurring. But on the other hand, the legal systems and financial systems in place in many of these countries, including the United States or the UK, for example, are simultaneously the playground of the very authoritarian actors that they might be seeking to admonish or otherwise uh, combat on the global stage for democracy. In the United States, we talk about, for example, the fact that it's easier to obtain or easier to form a shell company in all 50 states than it is to obtain a library card. That means you can work your way in and out of economic systems and communities in the United States without providing any information at all. You can form a limited liability company and no one ever knows that who or what is behind that limited liability company, for example. Yeah. And and what kinds of economic and social harms does this sort of uh, secrecy contribute to uh, the kind of stuff that we see in headlines now and again? I think we see it manifest in a lot of different ways, um, from the very micro to the very macro level. Um, for example, on the real estate front, what we see is the ability for landlords to own real estate without any accountability to tenants, for example. That's a really small transaction, right? Uh, But if we look at the Surfside condo collapse, for example, in Miami, there's evidence that there were potentially links to drug dealing activities and illicit narcotic activities related to the Surfside condo collapse, and that the building itself was owned through anonymous shell entities with no accountability And that provided sort of just a ruse for moving money back and forth, uh, which obviously had really granular effects 
that resulted in the tragic result of uh, tragic loss of life. But when we take it broader, that's where I go back to what we were talking about earlier with uh, democratic implications, uh, for example. Um, you know, we see Russian oligarchs, for example, being able to form trusts, protect their wealth in states like Wyoming. And on the one hand, obviously, the United States is doing a lot to push back against uh, Russian authoritarianism as it encroaches upon the democratic country of Ukraine. Uh, but on the other hand, it's really hard for the United States to do that, to enforce sanctions that it's levying on uh, oligarchs in particular, when there's really no understanding or knowledge of who owns what in the United States. In what regard can we, can we say that the states are enablers of uh, a corporate secrecy? Uh, and then after answering that, maybe you can tell us uh, what role might the states have in uh, shoring up part of this problem? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that it's important to think of the U.S. federalist system as a component of its parts, right? This is kind of what makes the U.S. unique compared to the rest of the world, obviously. In the U.S., we like to say that there's really no such thing as federal corporate law. The states themselves are actually who have always historically regulated corporations. And what we've seen, unfortunately, is that the states have begun to sort of compete around secrecy and as a result, attracted maybe the wrong kind of actors, uh, not surprisingly. The states themselves, of course, can play a leading role toward transparency and begin to compete towards transparency if they really wanted to by, for example, requiring uh, trusts up arrangements upon their formation or arrangement to report beneficial ownership back to the states as well. This is a really important thing for a state like New York which has both seen capital flight as a result of financial secrecy from other jurisdictions that are competing against each other, as well as cities like New York, where we've seen problematic investment and not surprisingly, New York real estate. For example, Iran, Iranian sanctions being um, circumvented by actors who are able to invest through anonymous entities in New York, Manhattan real estate, one of the most attractive real estate markets in the world. So. This is a really important opportunity for states to stand up and crack down on these secrecy efforts. And, and the uh, what and the status of that New York bill, uh, it it can you run down that? Yeah, we understand that ultimately what got it caught up was just timing. Um, it was working its way through the chambers, but due to a really busy legislative session, they just weren't able to get it through both houses and uh, or both chambers, I should say and uh, that it'll be reintroduced in the next session. And we're hopeful that they have the support that they need. A really important factor in New York, and this is important at the US scale too though, is that the allies for these types of provisions aren't exactly who you might expect. It's a much broader coalition than folks think. A lot of times, uh, I think folks try to limit these transparency reforms to just progressive groups that want to defend tenants. And that's, of course, true. Tenant rights are incredibly important. But law enforcement has a vested interest in this, as do the financial institutions that help finance a lot of these transactions or bankroll them in one way or another, right? Uh, the federal government already asks most of those, for example, banks to know who their, their customers are uh, through anonymous entities. But um, boy, it's helpful to have those verification tools when other regimes are asking for similar information, right? And it also eases the compliance burden for banks when they can trust that this information is also being filed with the government, uh, whether it be New York or the federal government. 
So there's a really broad coalition of folks that would like this information to be uh, completed. And it's important to know that um, those coalitions working together, I think, have a real shot at making sure that these transparency-based reforms happen and do so in a way that's both respectful of privacy rights to the extent that they really are concerned about, you know, real privacy concerns, but also respectful of the need for this public information to combat financial secrecy and the harms that we talked about earlier. Right. And, and what can you tell us about uh, financial secrecy uh, uh, legislation in other states uh, this, this past year? I know you gave some testimony in some other states. And, um, and, and what's the significance of, of getting reforms in states that might not be on everyone's radar? Yeah, absolutely. In other states, we're seeing some really exciting developments, in particular Alaska and Wyoming. Those are two states that have been identified as folks that, you know, state enablers. Uh, Alaska sort of kicked off some of the secrecy trust wars, and Wyoming introduced the limited liability company uh, in general uh, in the 70s. And, uh, you know, both, I think, to kick up their own local economies, but I think both states have kind of realized is that, um, you know, those innovations, those financial innovations, they really didn't benefit everybody in their states. In fact, they had a really small limited benefit uh, to really small niche industries and didn't percolate necessarily to the rest of the community and help contribute to these global harms. In Alaska, I think because they helped kick off these trust wars, there was an effort in Alaska in the last session to bring transparency to trust, to report the true beneficial owners of trust. And it had a great definition of who beneficial owners were, including through the beneficiary ranks. That was a workable definition. And that's a really important um, progress as well, even on the international scope, as bodies like the Financial Action Task Force are working to create their own trust beneficial owner definitions. Wyoming, I think they were more just at a base level trying to understand the problem, right? Uh, One of the things we saw in Wyoming, for example, was Igor Makarov, one of the Russian oligarchs, who was able to uh, put all of his trust assets in a Wyoming cowboy cocktail, as they call it, which is a unique structure in Wyoming based on what Wyoming has rules where essentially the beneficiary of a trust can also kind of control the trust through an anonymous LLC, which kind of breaks down the historical logic behind a trust, uh, which is that you're kind of giving up control of the asset to an independent trustee. Um, So it's a way of uh, an oligarch to kind of hold their assets without any accountability by the legal protections, you know, protected by the strong legal protections in the United States. Uh, without anybody knowing. One of the things that Wyoming was really trying to get their head around was the changes that they need to make to bring back their strong reputation as a state of equality. That's their nickname, right? The equality state, but also, you know, as a fair dealer in the world. Wyoming ends, uh, they really value their reputation as good, honest people, right? And I think that the Pandora Papers, which was a great expose revealing a lot of all of this in the last year, a landmark expose of um, confirming that the U.S. has really become a financial secrecy jurisdiction for the first time. The reference to Igor Makarov's trust in the Pandora Papers, I think, are really call, spurring a call to action in Wyoming, a state that's also looking for increased revenues and to tamp down on tax evasion and contributing to global tax evasion in light of changing geopolitics as well. That was Ryan Garul with the FAT Coalition. Now we'll hear from the opposing side of the argument. Beth Garvey is a shareholder at the law firm Greenberg Traurig, who lobbies on behalf of the firm's clients in Albany. She made the argument to Michael as to why this bill shouldn't become law and why LLCs, as they're currently set up, are so important. 
Well, LLCs have really become a mainstay of corporate organization in New York State. Uh, given that we are a highly litigious state, um, LLCs have become a very easy method to form a business entity as well as protect significant corporate assets or individual assets uh, in case of different types of litigation. And an LLC is also one of the more flexible types of uh, corporate forms, given that you don't need to have a board to have one. And then what role did you play as that New York bill was going through the legislature? Uh, You know, you were certainly watching it closely, I'm sure. We were certainly watching it closely. One of the things that we do for our clients is we make sure that they have a level of awareness of things that may impact them that are passing through the New York legislature. So, you know, for purposes of a bill like this that applies to any entity that operates an LLC in New York, it impacted a number of our clients, um, everything from, you know, healthcare to restaurants, to liquor license holders, to real estate interests, to, um, you know, just any individual who may own assets in an LLC form. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and my understanding of the bill was that it uh, creates a, a definition for beneficial ownership of those LLCs. Uh, requires some disclosure disclosure of those beneficial owners when uh, the LLC is organized and when you're registering with the state of New York, and then also uh, requires the Department of State to add beneficial ownership information to a publicly searchable database. Is that kind of roughly the the four square of it, or? Well, I think look, the public database may have been the intent. The traditional way that you find out about public information in New York is through a law called FOIL. And what this said in this legislation was that any information filed with the Department of State related to the name, address, or birth year of the individual beneficial owner would not be an unwarranted invasion of personal privacy, meaning DOS would have no ability to withhold it under FOIL. So it effectively created a mechanism for disclosure and likely what would happen given, you know, everything else would be that DOS might create this database. And, and but what concerns did you have with that? So the initial concern about this bill uh, was that, look, you are giving an incredible amount of very, very personal data to be made public, essentially. And You know, I don't think that the sponsors had really thought through that aspect of how the bill was drafted initially. You know, in New York, they've made a decision that they still want name, address, and birth year able to be disclosed publicly, which is something that, you know, continues to give some level of concern just given that, you know, you could have someone who is a victim of domestic violence. In almost any other context, you have the ability to uh, say to a government agency, whether it's the Board of Elections or uh, what have you, that I don't want my public information disclosed. There's no protection in this bill for something like that. 
Well, I mean, I, I suppose there'd be folks that uh, on the other side arguing that uh, you, you're advocating for the uh, maintenance of a system that is still quite opaque and, and a system that, that permits uh, a, a lot of political and social problems, not the least of which is, you know, tax evasion, uh, options for uh, money laundering. And how do you respond to that? I mean, those those are, are problems that uh, have gotten a lot of headlines lately. Yes. And I mean, if you think about it, when you go to file with the State Liquor Authority in New York for a liquor license, they have extensive information about all of the owners of an entity that are going to be involved in, you know, providing alcoholic beverages for sale. So they get all kinds of background checks and they get extensive information and financial data, and that's appropriate. Um, They should have access to that information for that regulatory purpose. The question here is whether really the general public should have the name, address, and birth year of all of those individuals as well. Um, Because again, the agencies that regulate those entities know who they are, know where to find them, and understand who they are. The purpose of this legislation, while it states in the sponsor's memo, it's really geared toward this sort of fraud and abuse, is going to sweep in a number of law-abiding entities that are going to comply. And New York is one of the states with, I would characterize it as a less friendly environment to businesses, given all of its regulation, its taxation structure, et cetera. So this is, in a number of corporations' view, just another way that New York is going to impose a backdoor tax on them. Well, but how do you respond to uh, kind of this idea that you really can't have accountability and you really can't have uh, an end to some of the more nefarious uh, qualities that this bill is concerned about if you don't have a if you don't have real transparency backed by, you know, a a searchable database that uh, is publicly available? I mean, we do that in the context of campaign contributions and other things. Why is this so different? I don't think this is necessarily different. I think what the concerns are relate to, you know, what exactly is it that you are looking to get? And is it something that can be protected? And is it something that is safe? So look, if the real goal was to say the state should be able to figure out who these people are in one fell swoop, go to DOS, get access to the information. I don't think anyone would oppose that. I think the idea is what are we doing with this information and who does this public database now impact? So, you know, potentially you have a number of individuals who bought real property through an LLC. And part of the reason they did that was to keep their identity private. Maybe they're a high profile individual, like a famous baseball player. Um, and once this database comes out, the fact that they bought, you know, one, two, three Main Street LLC is owned by, you know, uh, Derek Jeter, that's going to be public. So whether that person is entitled to privacy or not, the current law afford, afforded them the ability to have that privacy. And this is a sea change. This is changing that rule in the middle 
of their ownership of that property. But but, but if that person is a narco-terrorist or a... Uh... Uh, a Russian oligarch who maybe got his money, you know, poor in poor fashion. I mean, isn't that a more important goal than, you know, Derek Jeter's uh, purchase of a piece of property? I mean, look, I think a public policy choice always involves making these kinds of distinctions, which is, are we looking at exposing everyone to this obligation and is it fair across the board is there going to be potentially an ability to make an argument to the department of state that there should be privacy um you know whether it's some you know small individual that doesn't want their information made public maybe department of state is a better entity to make that decision about does this really serve the public interest? I spoke a little bit earlier about the potential for a victim of domestic violence who may have availed themselves of this benefit to be able to not have the identity of the owner of the property publicly identified in the you know, newspaper listings. That's something that there may be a good public policy reason why you might want to have less of a black and white rule, which is everything must be disclosed in every case. That was Beth Garvey, a lobbyist with the firm Greenberg Traurig. And before that, you heard Ryan Garul from the FAC Coalition. They spoke with Bloomberg Taxes' Michael Bologna. You can find up-to-the-minute news and latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio and Jeff Harrington are our editors. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.